Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Ah, but not just another thrilling episode. You may recall a few weeks back when we celebrated our 100th show here in the Lehigh Valley. Well, today, and I mean today, this day, marks 22 years of You Bet Your Garden appearing on public broadcasting. You know, the first 20 years I was at that little community station in Philly, but now I've come up to the big time. And this is our second year anniversary here and 22nd anniversary overall. And did you send a card, anything? Ah, a fruit basket, something. Boy, I, I tell you. Anyway, coming up later in the show, I am going to reveal my secret of keeping your pepper plants alive over the wintertime so that you not only have, not only, not only, you not only not have to go out and buy new ones, but the ones you'll put out in the spring will be an amazing size. We're also going to take lots of your fabulous phone calls, so let's get right to that at 833-727-9588. Owen, welcome. To you bet your garden. Thanks, Mike. How you doing? I am just Ducky Owen. Thank you for asking. Ducky loves to be recognized. How is Owen doing? Uh, we're a little over overcast and sprinkling over here. Okay. And where is here? Uh, so I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Very good. Always a pleasure. What can we do for you? So recently, we got a lot of rains and some storms from the, the hurricane, Hurricane Laura. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it has hit three kinds of my plants pretty hard. Um, those would be the Mexican sunflowers, my zinnias, and my amaranth. Um, every single one of those has fallen over, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm wondering kind of two parts here. If there's anything that I can do now to spruce them back up, and then what can I do in the future to keep these guys from falling over? So you grew tithonia? Yeah. Okay, did you get monarchs? I was just starting to, yeah. I've counted about five or six so far. Yeah, I got monarchs. I got swallowtails. Boy, that plant keeps the bees and the butterflies so happy. Mexican sunflower. Everybody talks about milkweed, but that's just for the caterpillars to eat. For the adults to get ready for that flight to Mexico, they really need high energy. And Tithonia, I think, has some of the most nutritious um, pollen and nectar in the plant world. Now, I'm going to tell you a sad story that's going to put yours in perspective. Um, my Diane and I are both fools for sweet corn. But again, there's nothing more disappointing than sweet corn that's not sweet. And I keep explaining to people that growing it correctly is important, but it has to be ripe when you pick it. You have to pick it first thing in the morning, and you have to refrigerate it right away. Well, there is a guy in my neighborhood a couple of miles away. Every year he grows a big field of sweet corn, and out by the road he has a setup 
where there's a tractor trailer kind of thing, and he either has a little refrigerator in it running uh, the extension cords of the house, or he keeps running out and putting um, freezer packs in. So the, co the corn is cold when you get it. I saw it for the first time, you know, maybe a month ago, and immediately bought a dozen years, came, brought it back home, steamed it for like three minutes, and oh, their heaven is a great piece of sweet corn. And Diane kept saying, when are you gonna go back? When are you gonna go back? And I said, as soon as I have to take that little road again. Well, the hurricane hit us in between, and I went back and the trailer was gone, and the first like 30 rows of corn that I could see were blown to the ground. And I went, ah, oh, thank God he's got the stuff in the back. So then I started going every day, and after day three, he had plowed it all under. It was just a total loss. And that is something that we have to deal with. I have found amaranth. I grow the elephant's head variety. I have found amaranth to be very um, individual in its habit. Some of the plants seem to fall over before there's any good reason. Uh, some of them remain upright all season. Now, if you want to give yourself some insurance, you can go out and buy, oh, what do they call them? Having a senior moment. But they're a long metal spike that has a loop up there, plant stakes. And you can put the stake in the ground next to the plant so that the loop is holding uh, the stalk. And they're your best bet for tall, skinny plants. I grew my tithonia in a kind of protected area. It's almost growing into a, a rose of Sharon. So, you know, the bees can't figure out where to go. And that protected it from the wind. The other, you said, sunflowers, you know, they, they uh, and what kind of sunflowers? Ornamental or the oil sunflowers? Well, so it was uh, the Mexican sunflowers, zinnias, and amaranth. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I thought you said true sunflowers. Um, well, I, I think plant stakes or a protected area. You know, this is why farmers in the old days used to have hedgerows to stop those howling winds. Um, but Tennessee, you were not spared at all um, from, at the time of this taping, the most recent hurricane we had. It hit you and Louisiana hard, right? Now we didn't get hit as hard, but we did. Get <laughs> nobody some got hit as hard as nobody got hit as hard as poor Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> but this is going to happen, and what you can do is, you know, you can salvage the season to some degree by making these things into cut flowers. If your amaranth is like mine, with a giant, colorful seed head. I have brought those inside and put them in large vases, uh, half filled with water, and they would remain in stasis for maybe six weeks. Uh, the tithonia, I would definitely harvest the flowers that are there, leave them outside in some sort of vase situation, and you might have time for a little bit of regrowth depending on what kind of weather we get in the fall. You might get some more flowers. Um, the zinnias, I mean, take your shot, whichever you want to do of those things. Yeah. 
Now, with with the amaranth here, we are saving this for seed to to eat. Right. Uh, and and some of the stuff that's fallen over was the bigger, heavier, thicker stuff. Right. Is that it? Trying to say I'm ready to be collected for seed. Um, either that or it's terribly depressed by the pandemic and just finally <laughs> gave up. Uh, the way you test. Now, if you want to save seed, what, what kind of amaranth? What color head? This one specifically is the Hopi red. Hopi red, yes. Very similar to my elephant's head. Um, is the red dramatically red? Yeah. Okay. So in this case, you do the opposite of what I said. You bring it indoors and leave it in a cool, dry place. If you have a ceiling fan anywhere in the house, um, turning it, you know, putting it on newspapers and turning it every day underneath the ceiling fan would be ideal. And then when the red starts to lose its color, that's when you gently shake it. And you're familiar with the small black seeds that come out of amaranth, right? Correct, yes. Yeah. So you should get a load of seeds from a big mature plant. What you want to do is let it dry slowly indoors and then make sure when you shake it, you've got enough newspapers out or whatever to catch those seeds. Because each plant, as you know, can produce thousands of seeds. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's, you know, that's why the expression exists, losing the farm. You know, when we get these horrendous weather conditions and crops are destroyed, um, you know, a true farmer might not get any income that year they may not be able to pay the mortgage and they, quote, lose the farm. So, uh, you know, every time we garden, we're rolling the dice. It's a crapshoot. But I think you should be able to salvage your seeds. And if you deadhead the tithonia, you might get another run of flowers. They're, they're pretty frisky in the fall. You know, now we, we did cut our losses with one and cut just everything that had snapped off. And it's, it seems to be the happiest one so far. Yes, exactly right. If there's damage, along the stalk, you cut below the damage. Okay, sounds good. Good luck, sir. Hey, thank you, Mike. Number to call, 833-727-9588. Kathy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, hi, Mike, how are you? I'm just ducky, thanks for asking. And uh, how's Kathy? I'm just peachy, thanks for asking. Uh, Okay, I was told by somebody that I should be peachy when it's sunny out and ducky when it's raining. Uh Uh, that makes sense. All right, so where are you, Peachy? I'm in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Just outside of Philadelphia. So what can we do for you, Kath? So I was standing at my kitchen window looking at my garden, and it appeared like there was an earthquake beneath one of the tomato plants. Hmm. All of a sudden, a squirrel popped out. <laughs> with a tomato in his mouth, uh-huh. went over to the nearby tree, sat down, and happily ate my tomato. Yeah, because... The evil squirrel knew you had a good view of this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, my, the, we live on a one-acre lot. The garden is all the way at the bottom of the lot, very, mm-hmm. very far from the hose. I, I would love to have one of those um, motion-activated squirters. Sprinklers, but, yes. Yes, but I fear that my husband is going to squirt himself. Plus, you know... <laughs> Hooking it up and unhooking it every time we mow the lawn is sort of a drag. I noticed that they had one of these that just you just put the water in it, but I can't buy it anywhere. It's no longer it's discontinued. So I thought about um, those owls that make noise and have flashing eyes. 
Nah. What do you think? Nah. No? Okay. Um, however, my friend Lee Reich actually kind of invented um, a similar thing. It's motion activated, but instead of shooting water, when it's activated, it plays a radio station that you've preset on the thing, and it has a bright light built in. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I, I forget if he called it the deer chaser or something like that, um, but it's green plastic, um, trying to, you know, uh, not too big, not too small, um, and it takes a couple of D-sized batteries. And I, I, I tested it, and it seemed to work well. But I will tell you that squirrels are evil. Oh, uh, yeah. They have a lot of time on their hands to figure stuff like this out. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually stole the batteries for use in their, <laughs> like, in their transistor radios and their squirrely homes. <laughs> now, your tomatoes, uh, what, what kind of support do they have? They're on tomato towers. It's not cages. It's, you know, conical-shaped towers. Right. If, um, if the deer chaser thing doesn't work, and by the way, uh, the ones I had were all AM radios, and what I tuned mine to was the local sports talk channel that during the day or when there weren't games on, could be like a talk show about sports, or it could be Rush Limbaugh or somebody like that. But I found it very effective because, you know, in those things, they're yelling at each other. Yeah. And then when you got a ball game on, everything is different. The crack of the bat, the, you know, it's constantly changing. It's not like you're playing dinner music for them. Yeah, that's, no, I think it sounds wonderful. But if that doesn't work, you're going to have to go out and make cages of welded yeah. wire animal fencing. Yeah. You know, you, these things last forever. Uh, you make a little top that you can twist tie on top of them. And then the evil squirrels have to figure out some way of, of getting in there. Or they'll go eat the neighbor's tomatoes, really. Yeah, yeah. So, I, go ahead. I don't wish the squirrels on anybody, but, um, yeah, they can't have my tomatoes. That's yes. The bottom. I have, a, what did we do? We had something up on our Facebook page. Um, an, an evil squirrel story, and we got dozens of, oh my God, they ate my tomatoes, they ate my tomatoes, they ate mm -hmm. my tomatoes too. You know, they're, they're fiends. Yeah, they So, are. Um, like I said, I think it was called the deer chaser. You can probably still find it out there, uh, okay. sound and light, you know, but the sound would be, always be different, which I think is, is really good. Um, when I was the editor of Organic Gardening Magazine, um, somebody rigged up one of those things by itself. Uh, they bought a motion-activated sensor and rigged it up with a radio that they kept to an AM station. So every time, in this case, it was a groundhog came in, um, the radio would start blaring, you know. So I think, I think that's gonna be effective, but if not, uh, go to our website, and click on the link that says answers to all your garden questions, and there's real specific instructions on how to make my tomato cages. Okay, okay, I, I will do that. I also looked there, and I liked the idea about the googly eyes. Somebody wrote in. I'm gonna oh, try that yeah, too. yeah, I remember that. That was creepy. Yeah, yeah, I thought so, too. I'm going <laughs> to try that. Well, I mean, it's almost Halloween. Dollar stores have this stuff in, in bulk right now. 
I know, I know. I have enough eyeballs for the entire neighborhood if I do that. <laughs> what a strange expression. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck to you, Kath. Thank you so much. I love your show. It's just great. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure doing it. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that the season of leafing is right around the corner. Be sure you're ready to suck up your fair share with a leaf blower that has a reverse setting and a collection bag. Instant shredding of your fall leaves without any bending. But don't go digging through your garage looking for long lost power tools just yet because we'll be right back with the secrets of perpetual peppers and more of your peppery phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to a special anniversary episode. I was going to say issue, but they're not issues, are they? You're not reading them. You're listening to them or looking at them. So it's an episode of You Bet Your Garden. I am your host, Mike McGrath, coming to you from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Coming up a little later on the show, I'll tell you how to bring your pepper plants inside for the winter and not only keep them alive, but perhaps pick a bunch of peppers to pickle. But we're taking more of your pickly phone calls before that at 833-727-9588. Renee, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to talk to you, Renee. Um, where are you? I'm in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. All right, just outside of Philadelphia. Yes. Okay. What can we do for Renee in Downingtown, PA? Well, my question is, did using triple phosphate in late April benefit my 30-year-old hydrangea bush because it had five flowers this summer? And um, it had previously been flower-free for a couple of years? Two years. It y seemed like 20, but it was two years. I know. I know. So this happened to virtually everybody. Uh, there was a two-year period where there was a combination of a really warm spell and then a freezing spell. So the hydrangeas got all confused. Some of them were actively growing again in the winter, and then they got shut down by a freezing cold night. And or it warmed up, and then we had a very late frost. And that happened two years in a row. I did not get a single flower. No one I know got a single flower. Now, um, last, I, I can't remember what happened last year. This year, I got a ton of flowers. I have three hydrangeas out in front of the house. And I got a ton of flowers from them. And I didn't do anything to amend the soil. Now, you used triple phosphate in April when the plant was already actively growing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Triple phosphate is not anything I would recommend. It is a chemical product as opposed to an organic natural product. Um, I recommend people use rock phosphate. 
But interestingly enough, I will acknowledge that triple phosphate um, acts much more quickly and it could have had an effect on your plant. What we'll never know, I always like to think, if only we had a control plant growing nearby that we treated exactly the same way, except for one addition of something like rock phosphate. Um, would, would both plants bloom anyway? But um, a triple phosphate is also not the worst thing you can use. It's not an herbicide or an insecticide. It's not going to kill bees or anything like that. And phosphorus, of course, is the uh, fr fruiting nutrient, the one that produces flowers, helps plants uh, produce flowers. It's also good for their root system. And um, so you have an ancient hydrangea, huh? Yes. Um, my daughter will be 30 in October, and I know we've had that at least 30 years. Um, and it just, um, this summer I was so excited. Um, I actually missed it. I <laughs> early morning, I went out with my reading glasses, and I was like, okay, I love you, Bush. Let me just look. So I looked all around. And all of a sudden, I saw these two buds that I missed, you know, for the week before. Mm -hmm. I wrote them on my little calendar in the beginning of, in the beginning of June. Mm -hmm. I was thrilled. And two days later, I found two more buds, and I wrote them down, and I was just thrilled. Um, it made my whole summer. But uh, in previous years, it flowered more than that, right? I had one year many years ago when my, well, I shouldn't say many, about seven years ago, Eight years ago, my friend's daughter was doing an internship in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, and she talked me quickly into two bags of some type of soil, mm -hmm. and I amended my soil around this bush with it, and either that summer or the next summer, I put my arms around the bush, because I would hug it. I love <laughs> the bush. Um, I tried to count, and I got up to about 50, and I couldn't count and keep my arms around the bush. Yeah, and we, we, I haven't had any since. We can only assume that those were bags of compost. Um, are, are you still in touch with your friend? Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Why didn't you, other... Yeah, why don't you ask her what she either gave you or talked you into buying? Uh, because there's absolutely nothing better than a compost feeding uh, for a plant this age. Now, one thing I want to warn you about, uh, or not warn you about, but maybe educate you about, is the interesting thing about adding phosphorus is you only do it once every three to four years. Um, phosphorus is a fairly inert uh, mineral, and it takes a bit to get uh, to be to get going, which is the advantage of using the chemical form. Uh, but once it gets into the soil, it will continue to release phosphorus for many years. So don't make the mistake of using the rock phosphate or triple phosphate every season, uh, just every three or four years, and ask your friend um, what you put on it that year where it bloomed like crazy. This would be the perfect time to apply something like that because our uh, our plants uh, are beginning to form what will become their buds next season. So perfect time to add some compost. Well, in the event that I can't get that exact soil, what nutrients should I put around this bush? Oh, just a good uh, bagged compost from a reliable source. Uh, you know, Costa Maine is one I always talk about on the show. 
uh, because I see it in every garden center. They make a yard waste compost. They make a lobster compost from, um, you know, seafood trimmings and stuff like that. But uh, a not composted manure, just compost. And you'll find, if you want to be uh, super righteous, look for the letters O-M-R-I on it. Uh, that's the Organic Materials Research Institute. And they verify that the ingredients in those bags are organic. It'll all, probably also say organic compost. But you don't need to add single nutrients. You don't want to add nitrogen. Uh, that would work against the phosphorus. And the best thing uh, for these plants is just the, the normal nutrients that are in good quality compost. And you can use that compost on every plant in your yard. Okay, and when do I apply this? Because this is an exact science with this bush. Okay, uh, right now. exact science. Right now. So right now. Yeah, like over okay. the next week or so. And then when do I do it next? Um, well, let's see what kind of response you get next year. Oh, well, I see. Okay. All right. Well, I'm certainly um, amazed that your hydrangea did not bloom for two years, so I need to apologize to my bush because I've been... <laughs> Really hard on it for two years because yeah. I would stand out there and say, "Why aren't you blooming?" Yep, no, so it now was. I feel better. It was one of the most common calls we got. I did not see a single hydrangea bloom in the mid-Atlantic states those two years, so don't feel bad. Well, then I'll apologize to my bush. Today. You do that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Taylor. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Where are you, sir? I am in Sandy, Utah. Oh wow! Is it Sandy and Sandy? It is. It, I believe, was the uh, shorelines of the old Lake Bonneville years oh. and years and years ago. So we do have plenty of sand in our soil. Oh, wow. I wonder if it's harvested for use in, like, concrete making and stuff. I know there's a lot of uh, businesses around here doing, uh, you know, that, that work. So I'm sure they do. When uh, my kids were small, we used to go to a place in Virginia, very southern coast of eastern Virginia. And the beach sand there was so beautiful. We used to take down five-gallon bottles of spring water. And mm -hmm. when we'd finish drinking them, we'd fill them up with sand to take home for the kids' sandbox. Yeah, once in a while, you'll be digging in your yard, and all of a sudden, you'll hit a big patch of sand like you're at the beach. So yeah, you kids got, love it. Yeah, it's, it's fabulous. All right, sir, what can we do you for? Uh, great. So my question today is um, it has to do with timing of placing uh, some organic compost. We just built a new home. And as you know, construction companies, you know, bring in the worst soil possible <laughs> to build uh -huh. the land. Right. Very powdery, you know, some rocks here and there. So when we had our sod placed uh, for our yard, our landscaper did bring in some nice premium topsoil. And he added that to our garden beds uh, to kind of improve the soil a little bit there. But now we're coming to the season of planting our spring bulbs. Right. Uh, pretty pretty soon. So I want to know uh, if I should add the compost now and then plant the bulbs or plant the bulbs and add that compost in the spring. Um, so I kind of know what I want to do. I just don't know when I should do it. What kind of bulbs? So uh, we got everything from uh, tulips to, uh, I believe it's pronounced, uh, alliums. Alliums, uh, yeah. Some, uh, I believe, daffodils. And, uh, you know, we bought a big variety pack. Uh, they've been great in the past. A lot of the bulbs that I see growing around this area anyway um, from our neighbors and the neighborhoods. And you have real winters there in Utah. Yeah, it's supposed to be a heavy one. 
Uh, but you also have scaldingly hot summers, right? Yes, we do. I, we're ju- we just a couple of weeks ago left 100-degree weather. Um, now it's more pleasant. Uh, some days it'll reach 90, but I believe around now it's in the 70s to 80s. So. Well, you know, that's exactly the same climate that these bulbs kind of grew up in. That's their mm-hmm. DNA in these mm-hmm. godforsaken mountains up in Turkey and Afghanistan and Russia. The winters are harsh, and the summers make winter look like a, a cakewalk. And mm-hmm. that's why these plants have evolved to shoot up in the spring, flower, absorb solar energy, and then go back down and hide again. So you, you, yeah. you have the perfect climate. Yeah, we get the biggest bang for our buck using things that, you know, continue to come back and, and flourish. So. so what kind of an area is open for them? What, what's the area where you're going to plant them? Is it a bed in front of the house? Is it just... Yeah, it's flat earth garden beds. Um, we got uh, more around the perimeter of the home, and then we did some type of um, garden beds along the street line as well. Uh, so there's full sun, there's part, part sun, part shade areas but mostly full sun is what we're looking at. Okay. Now, that sounds perfect. Um, one of the more interesting thing about spring bulbs, if you ever want to do a dog and pony show for uh, school children or something, mm-hmm. get a big, fat daffodil bulb and cut it right down the center with a knife and show them that the flower is already inside. Okay. It, it's cool. inside like layers of onions, and it's just waiting, really, uh, for the climate to activate it to send up its shoot and then its flower. Mm-hmm. So there, really there is no need for nutrition at this time of year. The, okay. the, the bulbs are dormant. You never feed a dormant plant. Sure. And, and, of course, they've already produced the flower that you're looking to see the first year. So I, okay. would, I would say that your best bet is to plant them in unimproved soil, Mm-hmm. Wait till they come up. Wait till the flowers fade. After the flowers fade, clip off that little seed head that appears at the top of the stalk. But, yeah. but don't cut the stalk down low because then water can pool up in the bottom. Okay. And after you do that, then I would put a mulch of an inch of compost all okay. around them. And obviously don't disturb the greenery till it turns brown. Mm-hmm. And that way, that, that is the time of year they want to be fed. And, of course, compost is the best food. So I think yeah. you have a perfect plan there. Okay, great. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, thank you. What an interesting area you live in. And congratulations on the new house. Thank you. I appreciate it, Mike. You have a great day. You too, sir. Bye-bye. 833-727-9588. Sarah, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, good morning. How are you? I am just ducky, Sarah. Thanks for asking. How is Sarah doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day out here. And where is out here? Dayton, Ohio. Oh, very good. Always nice to hear from our friends out there. What can we do you for? Well, I have some English lavender that's growing in a rock wall. It's very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, it loves the well-drained soil, but I'd like to move the plant, and I didn't know whether it could tolerate being moved in the fall or it preferred being moved in the spring. Okay. Um, it's, it's funny that you mention this because uh, on my way home from work, 
uh, one of the ways I, I take uh, is a drive down this road, and they have the most beautiful patch of lavender, uh, kind of like what you're describing, literally growing out of a stone wall. And it is the nicest lavender I've ever seen in my neighborhood. And it reminded me of the edict that uh, the only thing that you have to be absolutely sure of with both lavender and uh, rosemary is good drainage. And how, how are you going to get better drainage than with the roots and rocks, right? Right. So if why do you want to move, and will this move take, take them out of the rocks and into uh, soil? No, I actually just want to move it about three feet down the wall, and it is in soil, but it's, a, it's a surrounded by um, rock boulders. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, why, do you, why do you want to move it that short a distance? Just curious. Um, just as there's another plant that um, was small when it, they were planted next to each other, and now it's growing into it, and so I want to move the lavender where it has some more room. Oh, okay. Well, you know, because of the, the loose soil situation in the rocks, this makes uh, perfect sense for you to move them at the absolute perfect time to move any plant, which is when they are completely dormant in the, like the dead of winter. You know, let them go completely dormant, and then it, it's almost like a pruning. Uh, the best day to prune is the last day you'd ever want to take yourself outside. <laughs> so wait, right. wait for a nice cold spell and then gently move them. And even though this is the winter we're talking about, I want you to water them if there hasn't been any snow or rain. Okay. And really make sure they get a good watering. And then obviously we don't want to overwater them but if it stays dry, and remember, winter is dry in two ways. The air is also dry if we don't get any rain or snow or anything like that. So you want to make sure that they get watered every three or four days until some natural occurrence comes back. But otherwise, they're, not, they're going to wake up and go, hey, wasn't that tree over there before? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, well before I let, before I let you go, I have uh, I have a friend who is like a fiend for lavender. What do you do with yours? Do you harvest it at all? I harvest some of it. I just I love the color. Um, I love the foliage. The, the and right where it is, it's uh, is very fragrant. And so um, I do harvest some and dry it mm -hmm. upside down. And, uh, and you, you, like you say, there's nothing like that fragrance outside. No, it's just amazing. All right. Well, good luck, and I hope your lavender enjoys its new home. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the hints. Oh, my pleasure. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody with a cool season lawn of bluegrass, fescue, or rye, oh my, that time is running out to overseed any bare spots in that lawn and to either core aerate to improve soil compaction or dethatch to relieve uh, uh, thatch. What do you want? But don't aerate and dethatch in the same season or go spreading that seed just yet because we'll be right back with important info about perennializing your poblanos and more of your fabulous phone calls. 
I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, you'll be taking notes about how to bring your peppers inside for the winter and enjoy fresh eating, even with snow on the ground. Yes, it can be done. So listen up, and you'll learn how to do it. In the meantime, a couple more of your learned phone calls. At 833-727-9588, Martaza, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Martaza. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. I don't want to shake ducky too much or his mask might slip down and the federales will come in. Dr. Fauci will come in and yell at me or something like that. No, we don't want that. No. No. So uh, where are you? I'm currently calling from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Okay. What part of Bucks County? Uh, in like the Ben Salem area. Okay. Very good. And uh, what's the uh, story of your name? Oh yeah, sure. So uh, it's a it's a Muslim name, and um, uh, that's basically the extent of it that I know. <laughs> you don't know what it means or anything. Uh, I I do, but it's uh, escaping me at the moment. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, okay, show and tell is over, kids. All right, Martazo, what can <laughs> we what can we do for your garden in Bucks County? Sure. So I'm actually in the process of moving from Bucks County to central New Jersey, okay. um, and I want to find a, uh, a wooded lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a little bit concerned about trying to figure out if the lot will have enough sun to grow my vegetables. Right, right. That is. Oh, so you haven't picked a place yet? I haven't picked a place yet, so we've just been house hunting. I want to I wanna try to have it be nice and private, have some woods, but then um, obviously that also brings shade. Yes. Well, uh, one of the obvious answers is you find a place that has woods on one side, but that maybe has been cleared for a lawn in front of the house or around the house. Um, And sometimes people in your situation will actually use the driveway (laughs) because that's the only part that that gets real sun. So do you intend to do one of these calculations if you're uncertain? You know, go online and, you know, plug in one of these, not, not really an app, but it's a calculator. How much sun does my property get? And you do this by, and then, you ha- of course, you have to, like, guess the height of the trees and the lay of the house. Okay. But these, these programs do exist to show okay. you. Now, I will tell you that I did exactly what you're doing. Um, but it took us a year and a half to find a house in the right school district mm-hmm. in a nice neighborhood that we could afford. Yeah. And, and there was no place for a garden. So, right, right. Yeah. The first year I took down probably six or seven trees 
which, okay. which, by the way, people are yelling at me now that left us with 7,000, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that expensive to do? Oh, man, I was such a dunce. I was like, how, well, I was in my early 30s, and, <laughs> oh, I can do this. 80, oh, no. eight, yeah, 80 foot high. Uh, a tulip poplar? Why not? I know how to notch a tree, and I'm doing it with like a play school chainsaw. It's oh, yeah. a green plastic plug-in. Oh no! Oh yeah, yeah. You'd be leaning into that sucker. The tree would catch on fire before it would fall down. And I just God protected me. I got so lucky. But the last one I felt, I can still hear the crack. And, and I thought it's not exactly going where I hoped it would right. go. But I got away with it. Um, one of the interesting things, though, is I cut everything down to the ground, but then I had no intention of using the native soil. Right. So it was okay to have the, the bottom of the stump still in the ground because I built foot-high raised beds over top. You just top put it right over the stump? Yeah, well, not even okay. the stump. I did uh, my impression of what it would be to grind down the stump, get it an mm -hmm. inch or two yeah. underground. Sure. But then, yeah, because, you know, you always want to grow in raised beds. Right. And right. depending on the age of the house, you don't want to use the soil mm -hmm. near the house because there could be lead paint right. there. Sure. And, and I will tell you one thing I did is I, I had a couple of different options for exactly where I was going to attempt this suicide, and I picked the one with the ugliest trees. Right. My, the tree I had the most fun taking down was a larch. What a great idea, an evergreen that drops its needles. What is that oh, about? No. So it can be done. I technically, if you came to my garden, you would say, do you really get enough sun to grow tomatoes and peppers and everything? And I say, yeah, I lie to them. When I put them in, I tell them they're shade-loving plants. Oh, right, right, yeah, trick them. But, that you know, probably wouldn't go so well for me. You, you, you would get away with it. I don't think that would work for me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, professional takedowns are really expensive, but, right. of, of course, you, you, know, you won't split your head open. Now, if if uh, if right against the house or, or 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 I mean, or on the driveway, like you said, or on the deck, is that okay? Doing a raised bed that's not on the soil, that's completely fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I I I know a lot of people who have houses in the woods, but they have decks that get great sun, mm -hmm. and so they just cover the deck with containers. I think that sounds like a great idea. I think that's a you know, I mean, worst case, like you said, do it in the driveway. Yeah, but I mean. It's, in, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get too personal. Do you have children? You're going to have children? We, we have some children, yes. We have, okay. two, we have two kids. So I can't tell you how important the school district is. Right, yeah, and, so, and, and that's, that's actually exactly the problem. It's like finding, finding the right lot. I mean, the, the vegetables, uh, unfortunately, you know, in real life are probably the, the lowest priority when it comes to buying the house. But hey, I want to make sure I can grow the vegetables. And don't forget, even though you're leaving Pennsylvania, there's still going to be community gardens near you. Right, yeah, definitely. I've looked into that a little bit also. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so... Um, I, is there... 
Okay. Is there anything, you know, they, they always talk about, you know, uh, um, um, what side, like, you know, uh, what direction the house is facing. Is there a particular, not, 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 there are, not that there are enough houses out there to really be able to pick and choose, but if there is one or the other, is there a direction you would prefer? You always want to have the garden on the east side of the house where the sun rises. Okay. South right. is, for, 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 south for is important, time. too. But east, I feel, is even more important because that's the sun that's going to dry off your plants after a wet night. Right, right, right. So have, have the garden facing east. Yes. Yeah, okay, great. Okay. Not, not west and not north. You're right. When I bought my yeah, house, yeah, yeah. I, I looked around and I said, my God, all four sides of this place point north. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically it would be a west-facing house, right? Uh, well, it, it depends on which side of the house you're going to put the garden, really. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah that makes sense, you yeah. know. I mean, I, I, I'd prefer to not have my tomatoes in the front lawn, but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Hey, and you're not going to have neighbors around, so who cares? Right, <laughs> right exactly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck to you, sir. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling How to Make Your Peppers Perennial. Dan in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, laments that his short season makes pepper growing difficult. Meanwhile, Anna Hecht from the CBS website named Chowhound emails us with questions about growing peppers and what to plant in the fall. And our very own audio editor, the always lovely Jonas Bowen, writes that he plans to bring his peppers inside for the winter, quote, as per my recommendations. So let's revisit those recommendations on perennializing your pepper plants. Now, part of this idea came from a visit to a frost-free portion of New Mexico where I saw habanero trees growing, close to eight foot tall and covered with those beautiful spicy fruits. When I asked about them, I was told that unless there was a freaky frost, the trees would continue to grow and set fruit for decades. Now, if you also garden in a frost-free region like San Diego or Southern Florida, you don't need this trick. But if you're in the other 99%, it is a trick worth trying. Okay, if your pepper plants are still in the ground, dig them up on the next nice day, leaving as much soil around the roots as possible to ease the shock of being transplanted. Move them into containers, adding enough high-quality potting mix, that means no chemical fertilizers or water-holding crystals, and compost to fill in the empty areas. Now, because I do this every year, most of my peppers spend the summer in 12-inch pots. That's 12 inches high and 12 inches across, one plant per pot. Unless frost is predicted, leave your prepared pots outside for a few days to settle and then begin your aphid intervention. The biggest enemy of overwintering peppers is is it R, aphids. Those masses of small sapsuckers love to ruin roses and then move on to peppers. But for some weird reason, you don't normally see the aphids on the peppers as you're preparing to bring them in. But you should assume that they are there. Using a pressurized sprayer or an adjustable garden hose nozzle set to laser beam, blast every crevice of the plant with the sharpest streams of water possible. Sure, you can cradle the plant with one hand while you blast it, but don't worry about the seeming roughness of this water. I've never even lost a flower getting my peppers ready to come in. 
If temps in the 30s are predicted that night, bring the plants inside to a safe area. If temps are going to be decent, leave them outside. Repeat your aphid annihilation protocol twice more. The final time, also rinsing off every part of the pot, including the inside rim. Do not skip this step, or plants that were to be perennialized will instead be aphidized, and it's not pretty. Now, don't add soap, oil, neem, or anything else to this initial protocol. But if things go south over the winter, yes, insecticidal soap, a light horticultural oil, and or neem would be intelligent responses. But for now, just follow the old adage that water is the best pesticide. Make sure your frost-sensitive plants go indoors before nighttime temps drop lower than the mid-40s. Once inside, you'll get the best results if you arrange your peppers beneath fluorescent shop lights that contain four tubes that are four feet long each. Yeah, you can use the two tube fixtures, but if you do, be sure the tops of the plants are within an inch of touching the lights and don't stray to the outskirts of the light. Four tube pictures give you a lot more leeway. Now, no matter what, select the fluorescent tubes with the highest listed number of lumens. The higher the number of lumens, the more light for your plants. Set a timer so they get 16 hours of light a day and eight hours of darkness. And carefully consider your location options. If your, quote, basement is actually an unfinished cellar, try and find a place where the level of heat would be acceptable to you. That means no unheated garage or greenhouse unless you're in one of those frost-free zones, and then we don't care what you do. Coward. The more light and the more normal the level of heat the plants receive, the more water and nutrients they're going to need. So feed them monthly with a balanced organic liquid fertilizer. If you do this correctly, every existing flower should become a pepper, and every green pepper should be able to ripen up. And if you really show off your opposable thumbs, new flowers will appear. And you'll post so many pictures of them on Instagram that their servers will crash. But even if you are only somewhat realistic about providing enough light and ambient heat, your pepper plants, or at least some of them, should survive to go out again next season when they will be a foot or more tall instead of the shrimpy little things you typically start the season with. These second-year plants will flower and fruit fast when they get outdoors. Do this halfway right, and you'll be picking ripe, fully colored up peppers before you get your first ripe tomato. Now, make sure the neighbors know this. In fact, consider waiting until you see a neighbor outside and ask them for help, quote, because my pepper plants are almost too big for me to handle. Oh, and look at your cute, tiny little plants. They're so adorable. Because in gardening, it is not enough to succeed. Others must fail. Well, that sure was some timely news about peppers hot and sweet, now wasn't it? 
Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website, where you can read it over at your leisure or, of course, your leisure. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. You betcha. Yikes, my producer is threatening to poach my peppers if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse, teeming, teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Include your location or we'll do something mean. So there. You'll find all of this contact information, the answers to all of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, oh, and our priceless podcast. It is all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Jack Kerouac, who found him lying on the floor of the City Lights bookstore. Our musical director is Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Please check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. The usual gang of idiots includes Eric Warner, John Flynn, Jacob Morris, Zach the Tack, and many others. This just in, it has now been revealed that our fearless leader and CEO, Tim Fallon, is actually an advanced hologram that has been programmed to be late for meetings. I'm your host, garlic planting Mike McGrath, and I still have lots of clothes to take care of, so be careful that you don't stand still next to me anytime soon, or I may have to cut your scapes off long after I see you again next week. What's the best time of year to prune a rambling rose that's rambled just a bit too far? And how do you know if a seemingly dead raspberry cane is just dormant or really most sincerely dead? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll save your roses and your raspberries, plus your rambling phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact.